Today's changing IP landscape is unprecedented. Stakeholders have a growing array of global tools that bring enormous opportunities but also challenge traditional portfolio management and enforcement strategies. In this, the second of a three-part podcast series on IP landscapes, Finnegan partner Eric Rossiti and Nishla Kaiser, a former Finnegan attorney and currently Chief Intellectual Property Counsel at Intellia Therapeutics, join us to discuss key considerations for early-stage companies. This podcast was originally recorded while Nishla was an attorney with Finnegan. Eric, how can an early-stage company use a landscape? I think landscapes are an excellent tool for an early-stage company because an early-stage company exists in an environment of questions. The company has to answer a lot of questions. So the nice thing about a landscape is that it does show a history of the technology from its earliest foundations. That helps in developing an IP portfolio because you have full possession of the story of the technology, and that helps you to answer questions from, say, patent authorities that want to know how you distinguish over what's been done before. More practically, it can also help to identify others that are in the same space. So you can obviously keep an eye on your competitors because investors will ask questions about your competitors and how does your story differentiate from what your competitors are doing. And as we discussed in the last podcast in this series, a landscape provides a snapshot at one point in time. So it's where you are today looking backwards. And that changes as time marches on and technology develops. There's also that 18-month blind spot when patents are filed and eventually published. It's important to stay on top of a landscape so that you can have an accurate view of what's happening in the relevant field. But ultimately, you're looking at the universe to help you make intelligent business decisions. This is patent business intelligence. So you can help identify potential licensors and competitors and also tell that story to your investors in a straightforward and concrete manner and crisply without a lot of time having to think about your answer. And then, of course, it'll also help you find out where patents aren't. That's what we call white space. Allow you to really capitalize on opportunities for your technology and to inhabit those white spaces before your competitors get there. Nishla, what are some of the pitfalls a startup should be aware of when performing a patent landscape? I think one common pitfall we've seen is that sometimes when people think they're getting this large project that has a broad scope, they expect that it can answer every question that they're going to come up with. And that's really not what landscapes are designed to do. They're extremely useful as launching pads to address some of those questions. So for example, if they wanted to file a patent in a particular area, what's the prior art? Do they have validity? Well, the landscape can be a very useful starting point to address that question. But really, then based on the initial information that comes from the landscape, companies should realize that if they want a full detailed coverage for a validity analysis, that that's a separate type of analysis. Same thing with freedom to operate. The landscape will give them a really good sense of what patents other competitors have and what's in the technology area. But with respect to a narrower freedom to operate question, they will want to go back and re-examine the searches and fill in the gaps for the more detailed coverage. The other thing that's important to be aware of is to understand what 
the searchers did and what they covered and specifically did not cover. Because you don't want to go and look at the landscape and say, hey, there's nothing on there in this particular area without realizing that that specific aspect of the technology wasn't captured in the search. So really communicating with the people who are performing the landscape and understanding what they did and did not do. The other particular point that has come up before is being aware of updating. So if a company has performed a landscape a year ago or two years ago, the particular goals that were in place at the time that the landscape was performed may have changed, and that may have determined the coverage and the analysis that happened at that point. And just being aware that when you're going back and looking at an older landscape, what were the questions that were being answered then versus what's the question that's being answered now. And as Eric mentioned before, there's this 18-month publication gap for patent applications. So one way that's possible to fill that in is to look at other types of publications, so more scientific publications, conference abstracts, to get a better sense of what's been going on in that last 18 months that isn't necessarily showing up in the patent world. And finally, Eric, what makes a landscape successful? The single most important thing is communication between those that are constructing the landscape and doing the analysis and the ultimate consumer. You know, for a small company, it's about defining your goals. So you can have a landscape that's really intended to get you through a Series B financing, or maybe it's to identify infringement risk, or maybe it's to look for a partner for a market for your technology that you're not going to pursue principally as part of your business model. All of those things help to define the major question that the landscape is going to be applied to. But that doesn't mean that a whole new landscape has to be constructed every time there's a different question. A good landscape can accommodate some flexibility in the questions being asked of it. But it's very important to understand what scope of analysis goes into it. Because if you're looking to tell primarily a marketing story, the landscape may look different than if you're trying to address a legal challenge, such as a infringement analysis. So it's important to know that you're not looking at the wrong blade of the Swiss Army knife when it comes time to use the landscape. Then it comes down to communication to make sure that the provider of the landscape services understand what you want to do with the landscape. And this is why it's important to have people involved in that process because it's iterative. It's about communication and a conversation toward reaching an end product. It's not simply about displaying data. You need information for data to make sense so you can make decisions that make sense. I would also just follow up by saying that just because people are involved, it doesn't mean that mistakes can't be made. If you simply say to somebody, please make me a landscape, it could be a human doing that analysis, but unless there's really a conversation involved, the results are likely not to be optimal. The one thing I would add to that is during the landscape process, plan for some interim updates, some interim meetings so that you can get feedback from whoever's performing the landscape so they can say, this is the type of thing we're seeing, this is the type of thing we're not seeing. If that's not matching up to expectations or if you know something's out there that they're not finding, then that gives you a point in the middle to really reevaluate what you're doing and get things back on track so you don't just wait until the very end and get something that's not useful at the end of the day. Our guests have been Nishla Kaiser, a former Finnegan attorney and currently Chief Intellectual Property Counsel at 
Intellia Therapeutics, and Eric Rossiti, a partner at Finnegan, one of the largest IP law firms in the world. For more commentary on intellectual property news and issues, including other parts of this IP landscape series, and to receive additional information on the firm, please visit www.finnegan.com. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Finnegan.